Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right. Well, praise the Lord. It's been a wonderful journey through the book of Romans. We are closing in on the tail end, but Romans 14 is where we're headed today, if you want to get a head start there. Romans 14. We're talking about the Christian liberty chapter, and uh, we talked about half of it last week, and we'll dive into the second half today, but I want to let you know that um, not to worry, summer is coming, okay? Summer will eventually be here. One of the greatest things in the summer, in my opinion, is, and I used to love this, especially as a teenager, being outside on a hot summer day, and the hunger pains start a little bit. You're out there maybe doing some work or, or whatever. Your hands are a little dirty, but you you walk over and you see a well-kept garden with a beautiful, shiny, red, perfectly ripened tomato. Oh, it's growing on the vine right there. It is ready to eat. And you take your dirty paws and you grab that. And who cares about washing? I mean, it's just, it's delicious. And so you grab that baby. You take a big bite right out of that tomato. The tangy juice just splashes all over your chin and down your clothes and your dirty shirt. And listen, let me tell you, <clears throat> there is... There are very few things that are that good in, a su- in the summer, okay? I love a good tomato. <clears throat> and, a, and, a, and a tomato plants around here, as you know, they grow strong. They grow very plentiful. Uh, but, but when you first plant those tomatoes, at the very beginning, they're very small, very tender, very delicate, and they require watchful care. They require gentle treatment. You could easily crush a little small tomato plant if you're not careful. Well, that's how it is in the house of God. That's how it is in the church. When there are some folks, and all of us are like this at certain points in our journey, we come into church and we are like young tomato plants. We're tender, we're fragile. Perhaps it's a new Christian or just a Christian that's sensitive about certain things from where they come from, their background, whatever it may be. And all of us, we need to be aware of of how our words and our actions are affecting those tender tomato plants. The truth is that every believer has a responsibility to help other believers in their faith. All of us. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters to help them in their faith. Philippians 2.4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. We need to build each other up. We need to give words of encouragement. We need to pray for one another. We need to share God's word with each other. And also, we need to make sure that the way that we live, the the choices we're making, are setting a good example for each other, and we're not hurting one another with the things that we're doing. Our actions matter. Our life choices could either encourage people to grow or they could contribute to the destruction of someone's faith. That's the idea here in this second half of Romans 14. Your actions and my actions really do matter. The first half of the chapter, we were reminded that there are going to be differences of of opinion on secondary matters in the church. And that's fine. 
But we all need to work toward unity by not judging another man's servant, that is God's servant, by letting God be God, and you remember that you answer to God alone. Every man answers to God and will stand accountable for what they have done before God himself, not by me or anybody else. Now, let me give us a helpful way of looking at this real quick as we begin. And um, I didn't bring this up last week, but I want to just share it with you. It's a great little grid. It's very helpful. It's at the bottom of your notes if you have some of the notes there. And let me show this to you. Now, there's three things, three terms that are important here. Principle, conviction, and standard. This is a good way to look at this. A principle, when we talk about a principle, what we're saying is it could be a command in the Bible or a principle in the Bible, but this is a Bible truth that we live by. This is one of those things that just God has said, and so it's a non-negotiable. It is what it is, and we don't change it. Nobody gets to say, well, I think we should do this. No, it's a principle. A conviction, then, is something that when you've taken that principle and you've put it into your heart. You say, this is my belief. I believe this is true. And it's based on that biblical principle now that I'm going to make that something that I live by. This is a principle that's going to be in my life. God says, uh, do not kill. <laughs> you know, don't be angry with people. So that's, my, that's a principle in Scripture. You see it all over the place. I'm not going to be angry. But how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to have to set some standards in my life. And a standard, then, is a guideline which helps us keep our conviction. So I'm going to have to come up with certain standards that I'm going to place in my life to help me make sure that I keep my conviction, which is keeping that principle. This is how it works. We see a principle, make a conviction, we place a standard, and we all, every one of us, ought to be doing this. You ought to be setting standards for your life. You ought to be drawing lines in the sand saying, you know, I'm not going to cross this line because if I cross that line, I'm going to be breaking this conviction in my heart. And everyone sort of picks things that help them obey God. Paul said, some people eat meat and some people don't eat meat. Um, it's funny, some people have strict standards in some ways and others we would call maybe more loose standards. And it's interesting to me as, you know, the more you're around believers and the more you're around Christians, um, some people will have a strict standard in one area, but, the, but then what we would call maybe a lower standard in another area. And other people would have strict standards in this area, but then a lower standard in this area. And it's kind of all over the map. And we kind of all are trying to do our best to follow the Lord, but we all have these standards. The key is, as long as we're obeying the principle, as long as we're obeying the command, then both, both of them are doing right. The problem comes when we judge each other's standards on the same level as the commands of God. And we say, well, your standard is too low or your standard is too high. And we start to bicker and fight over those things. And that's what we talked about last week. Don't judge e each other's standards. Now, the second half of this chapter is primarily to the people who feel a little more free in certain areas. So our standards may be what we might call a little bit lower in certain areas. And again, we're, each of us are in different issues in different places. So really, it would apply to all of us, I think. You might have a, an area of your life where you feel a little looser in your standard than someone else, and you, this is to you now, this is to all of us then in the second half of the chapter, that God doesn't want you to flaunt your freedom and thereby harm the conscience of the believer with a stricter standard. So this is for all of us. And here's an example of the context of Romans 14 here. 
a new believer comes in, this is one, one situation that might happen back then, uh, or even now, but a new believer comes in and they're like this new tomato plant, they begin to grow in the Lord, and they begin to make life choices, they start shedding some of their old ways, and then they start putting disciplines and standards into their life to make sure that they don't go back to what they used to be like. A seasoned believer, a believer that's been a believer for a long time, they would not wanna come along and trample on that new believer with their freedoms. I have Christian freedom in this area, I can do this thing, you may not be able to, but I can, and I don't, I'm just gonna flaunt, I don't care what you think. For example, if there's a person from a Jewish background, uh, in Paul's case especially, you don't wanna invite them over for a big pork feast after church, you know? It could offend their tender conscience. Or perhaps they come from a Greek background and they're trying to get away from all those idols. Well, you don't wanna go down to the corner market and buy their child a little toy idol. You know, here you go, here's a little toy to play with. That's the context of what we're talking about today. We don't wanna do something to offend someone's conscience. And I think most Christians would hate it. I think everybody here would say, I would hate that if my actions contributed to the downfall of someone else's faith. So God's gonna give us some instructions on how to wisely and maturely handle our Christian liberty. We're gonna see flaunting Christian liberty is actually immaturity, and it's a lack of wisdom. That's just plain and simple. Wise and mature Christians don't ever wanna knowingly do something that would cause a brother or sister to fall. Now as I begin here, let me just, one more thing. When you teach a chapter like this about secondary issues, uh, undoubtedly it'll start to bring up questions in all of our minds about a particular issue or a particular thing that we have strong opinions about. You know, is that okay? Is this okay? Would God say this is okay? Or what do we, what do we think about this? Can a Christian do that? And this is why spiritual discernment about what is primary and what is secondary is so important. And that brings me to say this. Thank you, home church. <laughs> Thank you. You folks are a discerning people of God. I tell you what. You have, so often I've seen people just grasp this concept of primary and secondary issues and don't make big things out of small things and yet hold tight to what God has called you to do. I so much appreciate the diversity and yet the sweet unity in this church. It's very good to have strong convictions. It's good, but it's just as good to be patient with one another. They're both equally good. So I will not bring up a lot of issues today in, in detail. There's a few that I'll mention as we go through but where this might apply, but I'm gonna let your discernment do the work, kinda like Paul did here. He kinda let your discernment with the Lord do the work here. But thank you for being the kind of church that loves one another. I do wanna say that. I'm preaching to the choir this morning is, is what I believe. All right, so let's continue the thought from last week. We had one, two, three, four, and five, how to have unity in the church, and now number six, let us choose love over liberties. I'm starting these with let us because in this chapter you see let us, let us, let us several times in the chapter. But let us choose love over liberties. Love over liberties. Verse 13. Let us, therefore, judge, or let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. But judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So no more, no more judging, he says, on secondary matters. Instead, judge yourself. That you don't put a stumbling block or a stub, <laughs> something that stubs your toe, a stub, an obstacle in the way that causes someone to trip. That's what that word means. 
Don't put a stumbling block. Don't put occasion to fall, which is the Greek word scandalon, where we get a word, English word scandal, which means a trap or a snare. Don't put something there that might cause a someone to stumble, an obstacle that so causes someone to trip in their faith, or someone that, to be trapped, and they don't know what to do. Picture again a brand new Christian trying to do their best to do what's right and then tripping over something that they saw a mature Christian say or they heard them say or something they did, especially somebody they looked up to and then they did something that, man, just really offended their conscience. How sad when Christians don't care enough about how their lifestyle is affecting someone else. We all have the responsibility to work at making sure our life choices don't cause others to go backwards in their faith. Uh, here's, here's something to remember, and as we see very clearly here, love trumps liberties. Love trumps liberties. Now, you are certainly free to do things that are not immoral or against scripture. You're certainly free to do that. Look what Paul says, verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So notice here in verse 14, Paul had to be persuaded about this whole thing from Jesus himself. He said, I, listen, this is tough for me as a Pharisee. It's a hard sell. But there is nothing, I know Jesus has taught us, there is nothing that is unclean of itself. You know, Peter also had to learn this lesson, in particular about the issue of meat. Peter was hungry one night. He went to bed, and he, he had never eaten a non-kosher meal. He was a Jew. But in Acts 10, we see that God gave him a vision uh, to show him that, listen, the food is not unclean. It's clean. God has, God has spoken that it is, un, it is clean. Food that, Peter, you've always thought was unclean is made, made clean by God. So get up, Peter, and start eating. It's okay. But man, this was so hard for his conscience, so hard that God had to give him a special vision. Jewish habits were hard to break. But God does want us to understand that nothing is unclean of itself. In other words, inanimate objects are neither good nor evil because they don't have a mind or a will. So idols are just wood until someone esteems them uh, unclean or reckons or accounts it as something else. Days are just days as he said earlier in the chapter, until someone esteems it something else. Food is just food until someone esteems it something else or reckons it or counts it to be something else. Let me give an example of this that circulates among some Christian circles. Even some I know in our church have grown up this way and this is from their childhood that they can re recall. And that is something like a Christmas tree, okay? A Christmas tree. Having a Christmas tree in your home, that's just, it's just a tree. It's an inanimate object. Nothing is unclean about a tree. But if someone considers that tree a pagan symbol and their conscience, and some people do, they see it, man, that's just a pagan symbol. It's, it's, uh, it came from bad things and, and I don't like it. Then it is sinful for them. It's unclean for them. And they shouldn't have it. If, if your conscience is, bo is bothered by it, then, then you shouldn't do it in your own home. But if your conscience doesn't bother you, if that's not what you're doing in your home, and you don't look at that like a pagan symbol, then don't worry about it. Go get the tree. Have a good time. However, here is your Christian duty. Verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, 
Now walkest thou not charitably or without love. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Here's how this might play out in the situation if we exchange meat for Christmas tree, okay? If your brother is grieved with your Christmas tree, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him, him or destroy not with your Christmas tree for whom Christ died. If you're in a cultural context where everyone around you really sees the Christmas tree as a demonic symbol, and that's what everybody's seeing, and, and they know that you have one of those things in your house, then here's what you should do. Out of love and deference, you should no, not put the tree up. And especially if you're going to invite somebody over and you know that's an issue for them, don't do it. It's not the end of the world not to have a Christmas tree. It really isn't. People are more important than your tree. Christ, look how important people, people are here to God. Christ died for them, he says. Don't ruin somebody's uh, faith. Christ died for them. Living like this, though, requires two things. It requires discernment and deference. Discernment, it's, it, you have to have wisdom. You have to be able to see things and, and look at the context in which you live, in which we live, and decide, is there a genuine issue here? And really decide, is, is this something I need to do? Is this something I not need to do? And it requires such spiritual discernment. We need to be close to the Lord. We've got to be wise. But this, the other word is deference. Deference is that quality of yielding for the sake of someone else. Yielding my rights for the sake of somebody else. It's love. I remember the time when I was, as a teenager, I really finally uh, grasped the concept of deference. And this idea of limiting what I want for the spiritual good of somebody else. I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, and my, a lot of my friends, or some of my friends, were into karate. And, and, but, and nothing wrong with that. They were fine to do that. Go for it. Enjoy it. But there were certain people in, in, our, in our church who were very, had a very sensitive conscience about the martial arts, and they felt like it had some bad attachments. And so uh, I, was, I, I was like, I don't care what they think, you know, as a 12 or 13 year old. I just want to do this. My friends are doing it. I just want to do it. Who cares? But my parents thought, you know, out of deference, let's just not do that. They weren't comfortable with it. I did not get it. Well, one weekend, I remember, I went on a little trip with my grandfather. He was my hero. Still is. He's in heaven now, amazing man of God, preached. And uh, we went together on this little trip, and I, I, I guess I was just pouring out my complaints to grandpa. And he, he gently sat me down, and he said, he explained to me deference. And he said, you know, this is something that you get to do as a believer in the Lord for somebody else. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to hurt them. And so if you could just give up this one thing, you may actually be helping a lot of people. And so I, it clicked in my head. Ah, it's not that big a deal to give up something I really want for the sake of somebody else. It really is, it really is a kind and loving thing to do. I learned the phrase, others may, I cannot. Others may be able to do it, but I cannot. There's nothing wrong with it. But for me, it's just something I'm just going to lay down. My little bit of enjoyment is not worth causing somebody else to stumble. God wants you to enjoy life. He really does. Go ahead. He's, off, he, he's, he's given us so many things to enjoy in this life. But we have to remember this. Love trumps liberties. Amen. Love trumps liberties. And do not flaunt 
your liberties. Your talk talks, your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks, right? If we, all, if we allow our liberties to hurt someone else's faith, then we're not walking charitably. Our love for others must trump our personal liberty. Now, one, one great example, when two vehicles, uh, I should ask the DMV lady here, but anyway, um, when two vehicles on the road, they're in a back road and, and uh, they, they're on a one-lane road and they come and they face each other uh, on a hill, what, who gets to go first? Well, apparently, the one going uphill should be given the right of way. What's a great metaphor for us when there is an issue in Christian relationships the more mature one has the responsibility to set their liberty aside and let the weaker one grow up, uh, let the weaker one pass. Give in to the weaker Christian headed uphill. Don't hinder their momentum. They're going uphill, let them, let them, let them get there. Just because you have this liberty in this particular area doesn't mean they're there yet. Let them, let them pass. Give them the, yield them the, way, uh, the right of way. But not only for our fellow believers, we also need to show deference for even a greater cause. More than even love, and this is the kingdom of God. Number seven, let us choose the kingdom of God over our liberties. Look in verse 16, let let not then your good be evil spoken of. It's absolutely fine to do something that God does not condemn or call unclean. But here's what Paul says, don't let your good be evil spoken of. The point is, if you flaunt your freedom to eat whatever you want, or whatever it is, it may be, it offends, and it offends a tender believer, then what you've just done is your good now is going to be evil spoken of. So lay that liberty aside for the greater cause. And what is the greater cause? Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. See, there's a bigger reason why we do this. It's even bigger than even loving one another, and that is the kingdom of God. Humans, you and I, we have an amazing ability to make a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> we do. Uh, to make the kingdom of God, this massive, incredible thing that God is doing all over the world and in the hearts of men and women, and we make it about meat and drink. We, we bring it all down to these little nitpicky things. God's kingdom was never meant to be a kingdom of nitpicking each other about secondary issues. It's not a place, and it's also not a place where we flaunt our freedoms, where it might hurt somebody else. The essence of Christianity and following Christ is not about externals, it's about eternals. Righteousness, God's righteousness, and ours in this world. It's about peace, eternal peace with God, and then peace with brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and it's about joy, joy here, and then an eternity filled with joy. Those are the things that the kingdom of God is about. And it's about the Holy Spirit fueling that and empowering that. This is the, by the way, th- these three things, this is the kingdom trifecta right here. I cannot think of anything else that belongs in the, t- in the top three. Isn't that amazing? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is just, that is just beautiful. There's, there's not anything else that, that we really, really want deep in our hearts. Imagine someone insisting so much, though, on flaunting their little personal liberty that they throw cold water on the Spirit and bring down righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost and, and in the church. Imagine, 
Imagine if we were the one doing that. I would hate to be the one to do that. It would be like inviting a new believer over to your house and, and, um, or, or an older believer, whatever, and, and you're playing some music. You, know, you have some music playing in the background and they come to you and say, listen, I, I appreciate your music, and, but you know, I gotta tell you, that's the music that I was listening to when, back when I used to take drugs. And, um, and it's kind of just bothered me a little bit. Would you mind turning it off? And they were kind of surprised that you would be playing that music. And, and, and so you're like, you know, come on, there's nothing wrong with this. I, I don't see anything wrong. My heart's in a good place. I'm sincere. My convictions are fine. I have not, uh, my, my conscience is not, not having any issues. So you get peeved at them from even making that comment. So you go over to the radio and you just crank it right up and make it a little bit louder. And you go over to them and say, you know what? You need to grow up in your Christian faith, buddy. Now, here's what you have just done. You have just made the kingdom of God about an external and not about righteousness, peace, and joy. It's not them. It's you that has the issue in that scenario. Now, you may be fine listening to that music, and that's okay, and that's not the point, though. It's not their responsibility. Listen to this. It's not their responsibility to grow up in the moment. It's my responsibility to lay my freedom aside for the kingdom of God's sake. It's not their responsibility to grow up in the moment. It's my responsibility to lay my freedom aside for the kingdom of God's sake. Now, here's what happens when we get this, this whole priority thing lined up and get it right. And by the way, it's a great balance. And it, it, it takes all of our life and continual thinking and discerning and deference to keep doing this. And the more relationships we have and all of that. But here's what happens when we get this right. Verse 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. When we focus on the main things and we do this for Christ, then God is happy and man is happy. It's just better all around. It's a win-win. God's kingdom is healthier. God's kingdom is happier. When we lay aside our liberty, and when we do that, then God also wants us to, number eight here, let us chase peace and edification. Let us chase peace and edification. Look what he says in verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify one another or edify another. The word follow after there in the Greek means to run after, to seek after, eagerly, to earnestly endeavor to acquire. Now, we've read most mostly here before this, about what not to do when it comes to this, these issues. Now God says, here's what you need to run after, and that is peace and edification, which means to build each other up, literally. And this is what Christians are supposed to be all about. We're supposed to be doing this for one another. And how can I help bring peace, uh, or how can I help bring peace? What, what would help me bring peace to you? And because everybody, uh, because everybody grows better and in an environment of peace. When things are at peace among, among brothers and in a church, everyone begins to grow more. It's just a better situation. It's like you're not trampling on tender tomato plants. But how can I edify and build up my brother or sister because people grow stronger when they're being edified, when they're being built up. The kingdom of God goes forth better. It's just better all the way around. And the theme of this portion of scripture is that we do not trample on the conscience of others. So that's what he's saying in verse 20. Then for meat then destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man 
who eateth with offense. God reminds us here, listen, how are you gonna encourage and build each other up? Well, you're gonna be doing that by not destroying the work of God for your little flaunting of your liberty. Uh, It is pure, all things indeed are pure, but it's evil for that guy who has an offense. God reminds us, don't push people into sinning against their conscience. Don't do that. It's wrong to try to loosen people up. Uh, it's, it's, it's not our job. It's God's job. Uh, and we certainly don't do that by flaunting our freedom. Verse 21, it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. So he brings up this eating of meat and drinking wine as an example here. We already talked about the meat issue, but drinking wine is a little bit different and because it has other biblical commands related to it. And it can cause people, as you know, to be intoxicated and to lose control of themselves. So we're not going to go deeply into the alcohol issue, but, but a quick reminder on this, you know, uh, wine today it has a much higher alcohol content than it did uh, back then. Therefore, it requires us to be extra careful about this. Even with that, knowing that, and sometimes the wine maybe even today could even be considered the strong drink from back then, I think. But even with that, let's say you don't have a biblical conviction about having a small and a very small glass of wine at dinner with your spouse, let's say, before you go to bed. By the way, even just the slightest drink can actually impair you enough to to uh, maybe push you over that edge to be drunk. So this is just extreme. You have to be so careful on this. But we all know it's very extremely clear in the scriptures, the biblical command is to never be drunk, ever. So your friend, uh, you invite you over, again, the scenario where you're, they're in your home, and they used to be an alcoholic, but they were gloriously saved, and they may choose never to drink anything at all, which is something we've done. But it might be very damaging to their faith to offer them alcohol at your home. It might be very, very hurtful to them. It could push them to commit an evil in their mind and then go beyond that and begin to go down. Well, if they allow that, I can allow it even more. And we can't, we don't, wouldn't want to ever do that for the sake of what? Peace and edification for building up. Charles Spurgeon, I, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon last week and one of the issues that he had another brother in the Lord, a pastor in England there that they kind of had going back and forth for a little while. Charles Spurgeon smoked cigars and and this other pastor went to the theater and they kind of both had their own little issues there. But I didn't tell you the rest of the story. One day, uh, Charles Spurgeon apparently was going down the street and he saw a sign that a cigar company had out in front of their uh, windows that said, smoke the same cigar uh, Spurgeon smokes. Smoke the same cigar Spurgeon smokes. Did you know what? Charles Spurgeon, that day, he said, I gave up the habit. I'm done. No more. Why? Why did he do that? For the sake of the kingdom of God. For, even if God's okay with me doing that, even if I don't feel anything in my conscience about doing that, this is, could very clearly hurt the cause of Christ. It could bring people down, and it's not worth it. It's not worth it. So anything that we think, oh, this is fine, well, we better be very careful. What we're learning is it's not my responsibility to grow up in the, uh, in the moment, or it's not their responsibility to grow up in the moment. It's my responsibility to set my liberty aside. And just a thought, again, to remain, help us all remain very humble on this. 
While we may be limiting our freedom for somebody else, there's somebody else probably limiting their freedom for me. You think, I'm, I'm strong in this area and I, I could you know, handle it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my, my, my stuff aside. There's somebody doing that for you too. We're all still learning how to balance all of this in the best way. And again, as we add new people and new relationships into our life and the sensitivities, sensitivities of culture changes and where we are in our situation, we're using discernment. We all have to adjust and be very careful and looking out for one another. We don't always get it right. I understand that, but we need to do the best we can. But beautifully, you know, I was, as I was thinking about that here, this is why we have Romans chapter 14. It's, it, Paul didn't lay out this is what you do and this is what you don't do on, and gave us a list of every possible issue that we could ever face. It's impossible to do that. Instead, he gave us these principles in Romans 14 to apply to our life in any given situation that we find ourselves in. So we always have this and this is where we get our guide in these kinds of things. Lastly here, number nine, when it comes to ourselves, we have these last couple verses here. Let us live in honest faith and not sin. Let us live in honest faith and not sin. Look at what it says in verse 22. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. So in other words, if there is something that is not against Scripture and you don't feel a conviction about it, then you, and if you have complete faith on that, after testing it by the word of God and bringing this matter before the Lord, that something you're doing is not a sin, then go for it and be happy and enjoy it. You know, sometimes people are just wrapped up too tight. We can, we can get, we can get knotted up too tight. Some people's conscience are so sensitive that even the things which God has called clean are still treated as unclean. That was, Peter, that was Peter's issue for a while there. But it's not our job to loosen people up. That's not our job. That's God's job. You let him do that. I also want to mention that this verse speaks to the balance, I think, of all that we've been talking about here, and that is this. Some might think, well, okay, so do I have to live my life based on everyone else's conscience? You know, can I never do anything that would potentially upset somebody? Well, no. Look what it says. Hast thou faith? Listen to this now. Have it to thyself before God. Do whatever your honest faith tells you. Your honest faith. Be honest now. <laughs> do whatever your honest faith tells you is okay in the privacy of your life before God. Go, it's okay. God is perfectly fine with that. I like what someone has said, though. Be convinced and be consistent. Be convinced and be consistent. But if after bringing an issue before the Lord, you feel something is not good for you, then here's what you need to hear. Verse 23. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When in doubt, don't. That's the better way to look at it. If there's a, this is a challenging thought to grasp, I will say. It really is. There are some things for one person that one person can do, and it wouldn't be a sin. And another can do it, and it is a sin. Look what it says. <laughs> it, because he eateth not of faith, for who, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
Now, this drives people crazy who only see black and white. I understand that. I'm a firstborn, okay? But this is God speaking here. The key is, if you are in doubt on any issue, if, if there is just something in you that says, I shouldn't probably do this. And by the way, again, this fluctuate over the years. You know, at first you might think this is okay, and then later on you say, you know what, I should not have been doing that. My conscience is bothering me. I need to tighten some things up. That's totally normal, and it should be done. We should be adding those kinds of things in our life. The other thing, though, is also the case. That happens also. You have all these you know, high standards, but then you realize, well, wait a second. I probably didn't need those. And so I'm going to bring those down a little bit. Definitely things that happen as well. And so, again, this is a thing we're always using discernment about. But if it's not a faith, when we bring it to the Lord, and if, you're, if you can't do it in full faith and feeling good, then it is sin. And it says here, you will feel the damnation of that or the judgment of that in your life. So don't go there. Don't go there. It's not worth it. Don't, don't violate your conscience. We come, and as we come to a close, let me just say this. We all need to get some convictions and we all need to make sure that we have life standards. That's not the issue. Everybody should have some. Again, that, let me put that up there again for you. The principle, conviction, and standard these are important things that we all have or, and need. If you see a principle or a command, commit to living by it and then start getting those standards to help you keep that conviction. Now, if there's something you want to evaluate, real quick as I close here, if, there, if, there, if you're thinking about it, Lord, I don't know what might be my standard. I'm thinking about certain things. How do we know what, some, what a standard is, what, how we should add a certain standard, what standard we should have, where should we, we should go. Well, study the scriptures. Lord, what do you want about this particular issue? Get to the bottom of that issue in the Bible, okay? Discuss it with a wise believer. Pray like crazy. And then come to a conclusion where you can have full faith and your conscience won't bother you. And there's your line. And then just don't cross that line. Stay way back. I love what some people have said. You know, if this is the line of falling off the edge of sin, then maybe it might be best for me to put my line way over here. So if I do cross that line, I still haven't fallen off. I want to make sure that I put good standards in my life that will help me keep from making horrible decisions. But if your standard is different from my standard, then enjoy your freedom. That's fine. Just don't flaunt it. I love that God gives us all that we need. I love that God gives us all we need for life and godliness. By taking us through this, uh, it's kind of a mental gymnastics, but it's also spiritual gymnastics. We say, Lord, we need your discernment in this. I want to be the best I can be. I want to help other believers with my lips, but also with my life. I don't want to trample on anybody else's faith. I want to live for you and make my life the brightest light it can be in this dark world. And that's the kind of heart that we need to, need to all have. Let's keep following him wholeheartedly. Lord, we love you. We, we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.